Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james, netsuite.com slash james netsuite.com slash james this is a big year the ohio lottery's golden anniversary 50 years of excitement of growing jackpots and crossed fingers 50 years of funding for schools of changed lives and brightened days 50 years of fun and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show... Reflection turns experience into insight. And so, you know, when you hear people say, James, experience is the best teacher, you know, they're good people, but it's not true. If experience were the best teacher, everybody would get better because everybody has experiences. I know a whole bunch of people, they're getting older, but they're not getting better. Evaluated experience is the best teacher. In other words, I spent an hour with James. Now, what did I learn? What did he give me today? that I can apply to my life. And so what happens is preparation gets you in the game and reflection makes your game better. So, so uh, you know, it's kind of funny. We were talking about games and sports earlier and the way to get better at any sport, people have a hard time analyzing their victories, but they analyze their losses and that's how they improve. You could potentially learn just as much analyzing your victories, but people just, their minds are not set up that way. You really learn analyzing your losses. Oh, that's very true. And, uh, you know, life is full of uh, 
missteps and uh, setbacks. And really, the question is not, don't tell me about your losses, tell me about your lessons. If out of every loss you can pull out a lesson that helps you to get better, then it was a good loss. All right, Jay, we ready? I can't believe I have John Maxwell on the podcast. John, first off, welcome. Thanks. I'm delighted to be with you, James. Delighted. John, you've sold over 30 million copies of your books on success, leadership, but there was one book in particular. I mentioned it to you a little while ago. Uh, in 2001, I was going through a hard time, and the book that I bought and kind of pulled me through that hard time was Failing Forward. Oh, it was yes. a, a great book. And I've read all your books since, like, uh, you know, how successful people think. That's always the book you see in the bookstore, in the airport bookstore. Oh, yeah, all the time. I, I read it half the time I go on a plane. I just buy that book again and I reread it on the, on the plane. Well, thank you. I hope it's added value to you. I remember when I wrote Failing Forward, uh, James, you love this. I wrote it on a cruise. And uh, and so I would I write literally with a, with a legal pad and a four color pen. So I'm very Neanderthal. I'm just you know, writing it out and and uh, so we're getting off the cruise and I've written 120 legal pages with a rubber band around them, which is my manuscript. And Margaret looked at me and she said, "John, I love the book." I said, "Well, what do you love about it?" She said, "Well, you're so honest about all the failures you've had in your life and all the mistakes." And and she said, "the The reader's going to love this. They're going to just say, "Wow, if he's failed, he got back up. I can get back up too." And then she said, but she said, I just, there's just one thing I didn't, you know, that I, there's, there's just one problem with the book. I said, well, what is it? She said, well, you didn't put all your failures in the book. <laughs> she, said, she said, I see a series coming on, Failure 101, 201, 301. And we laughed about it that day. But since that time, I, I wrote another book on failure called uh, Sometimes You Win, Sometimes You Learn. And, uh, you know, life is full of uh, missteps and, uh, and uh, setbacks. And it, really, the question is not... Uh, don't tell me about your losses. Tell me about your lessons. If 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 you can, if ever, if out of every loss you can pull out a lesson that helps you to get better, then then it was a good loss. Do you think? Um, well, what what inspired you to? Well, first off, we're here to talk about your your brand new book, which is an excellent book, Leadership. Um, but what inspired you to write Failing Forward? I just have to know because this was such an instrumental book in my own life. I, I can tell you exactly what happened. I. I was a very young leader, and I, so I, I was speaking at a conference, and uh, it was a two-day conference, and each speaker had a half a day. I happened to be the last of the, of the four. And so the first day, both of the leaders spoke about all their success and uh, just all the good things they were doing, and it was nice. And the next morning, the next leader talked about success, and by about mid-morning on that second day, I was tired of success. And I just thought, are these guys, I mean, it was kind of like they never missed and they always did well. And and I could feel, I could just feel the whole audience, or not a big, it was maybe 1,200 there. I could just feel the everybody, the gap was getting too big, James, between the speakers and the audience. And, and, and what they were saying was getting a little bit out of reach for everybody and everything was getting to be like a little too far. And there was a disconnect. And and. And I said to myself, I thought, wow, uh, they don't need to hear more success. They don't need to hear all the good things I've done. So over lunch, I took my legal pad and uh, got over in a corner, and I just started writing down on this legal pad all the th mistakes I'd made and mess-ups I'd had and failures in my life. And, uh, in fact, I called. I, so I, right at the top of the legal pad, I scribbled this out, flops, failures, and fumbles. 
And I got up and I said, I'm, I'm just going to talk to you about um, about flops, failures, and fumbles. You've already heard enough about success. I, I don't think I could add to that. But let me talk to you about all the, the stuff I did that they weren't good decisions and how I had to do U-turns. And, and so I started speaking, and th this crowd came alive. They, they, the energy came into this room, and by the time it was done, I mean, we were on the same page, and they were on their feet giving me a standing ovation, and they're back there, you know, back then it was tapes, you know, and they're back there buying the tapes and the whole process. And, and, and I, I just watched the crowd, and that day I, I said to myself, I never want to separate myself from the people I talk to. And I, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want fans, I want friends. And I want to be able to be where they are. Because what a leader does is a leader has to find the people before he or she can lead them. And I want to connect with them. And, and I want them to see me as I really am. And, you know, one of the I'm 71 now, and people look at the success, James, and, and sometimes they make me way, way much bigger than I really am. And I, I have one, my greatest, if I could have one thing in my life, can't do this, but if I could have one thing in my life, i like everybody to see me 45 years ago because it wasn't very good. And, and they would be greatly encouraged. I, I think success, I think if it's all you talk about is your success, I think, first of all, it's not true. I think you very lack authenticity. But I think also you put a big gap in between you and the people that you're trying to help. And I, I found that you can't help people with big gaps. They've got to gotta let you walk with them, and you've got to hear them, and you've got to care for them. And so I'm, that day was a really a, a, a big change for me because I walked out of that conference and said, I'm never going to just talk about success. I'm going to talk about, okay, I've had a, some wins, but I've had some losses too. And you got to get through your losses so you can get some more wins. And uh, it's something I just made a commitment to. And so the book, Failing Forward, kind of came out of that incident. And uh, I was talking in Dallas one day at a conference, and I said, what I want to do is teach people how to fail forward. It wasn't even a book yet, and the the audience just kind of they gasped, and I thought, oh, that's going to be the title because it it resonated with the people, and, and a lot of times I let my speaking determine what my writing's going to be because you know it's they're there. The people, the audience tells you whether it's any good or not. Just watch them, and you walk away and say, you know, I can throw that part of the speech out. That didn't do anything for anybody, but I really I, I really made a commitment very early to connect with people and to be the friend. And to um, to just help them, and you really can't help. I can't help people if I just talk about my success. Um, I, I can help people when I say I, I, I've been there. I, I got it. I, I, I let me tell you how I got through that. You can get through that too. I think they need a friend. I, I, you know, I think I see all these kind of business self help books. You know, a, a lot of them have similar titles to yours but the content's very different but like five steps to leadership and you never get the sense these people had to work you have to work hard to succeed at anything and when you're working hard you have to you, you fail a lot like you know at any sport for instance if you're going to be the greatest tennis player in the world you're going to lose many more tennis games than anybody else in that's order exactly to be the best right. that's exactly in fact i tell people all the time the only difference between you and me is i've had more losses than you and uh, the reason I've had more losses than you is I've had more attempts than you. In fact, I have a I have a coaching company. We started this coaching company about six years ago called the John Maxwell Team, and and it's been very successful. We, in six years, we've gone from nothing, no coaches, 
to, I think, about 22,000 coaches now in 150 countries uh, around the world. So, I mean, it's done really well. And in this, and, 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 and so people ask me all the time about how, this company and how, how did we build it. And, and we, we, we have what we call a cycle of success. And, and the cycle continues. It's a cycle. It just keeps going around and around. But at, at the beginning of that cycle is, is you test. You're always out there testing things. Well, if you're testing a lot of stuff you've never tried before, there's a lot of failure. So it's test, fail, learn, improve, re-enter. What's an example of something you've tested? Well, we've tested areas that, I mean, when we started out with our coaching company, we looked at each other and we tried to get a profile of, of what we were looking at. And so we were going after the wrong people. We were marketing to the people that were interested in it, perhaps. And we were constantly just saying, okay, well, that didn't work. Well, let's try this. And we didn't really have a great pattern to follow because the coaching company that we wanted to build was going to be a coaching company that really allowed the coach to succeed. And we did all kinds of things. We did things like uh, where most coaching companies will say, we want a residual of everything that you do as far as when you get another client. We said, let's not do that. Let's just have a, let's just have a good, fair entry fee. Let them get that. And then let them go and have, let them have the rewards. We don't need to kind of constantly say what part is ours. And, 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 and I, and one of the things we said is we'll take greed out of the picture. We just won't, we, we just won't be greedy. Let's, let's serve the people and add value to them. But we, we always are trying things, and some of them work, and some of them don't work, and, and we're very quick. When we have a successful conference, for example, Paul Martinelli, our president, he's always having his team developing a sheet during the conference. I mean, we'll have three, 4,000 coaches, and, and when they're done, they'll have 50, 60, 70 things that didn't go well, that could have gone better, things that we need to change. And, and you know, I, think that, I think so many times today's success is a detriment to tomorrow's success. And I think that what we have to do is value and evaluate our success, but in the process, evaluate it and constantly keep improving and getting better. So, so uh, you know, it's kind of funny. We were talking about games and sports earlier, and the way to get better at any sport, people have a hard time analyzing their victories, but they analyze their losses, and that's how they improve. You could potentially learn just as much analyzing your victories, but people just, their minds are not set up that way. You really learn analyzing your losses. Oh, that's very true. I was having a, uh, the John Maxwell Company, we have what we call an executive circle where, we, where every month I interview a, a CEO. And uh, so these executives are in on the call and 20 minutes of best practices from the CEO. Then I do some leadership application out of that best practice. And then I ask questions. And so I was talking to a CEO on the phone in this executive circle. And, and so I said, let's talk about your failures and your mistakes. Um, I mean, let's, let's talk about do-overs. If you could go back and do something over, what would you, what would you go back and, and, and do over? Pick, pick one thing that you would do. And it, it, his answer just, I think, shocked all of us. He said, well, first of all, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've made a lot of bad decisions, had a lot of failures. But I don't think I would go back and do over any of them. And it got real quiet on the phone. He said, um, because I, I just learned so much from my failure, and it developed so much character within me. He said, I, I don't think I would be the person I am today if I wouldn't have had those failures. And so he said, I'm grateful for them. He said, now, that doesn't mean I want to go back out and make another bad decision. I want to fail again. But he said, it really, where I am today is a result of, of learning from those experiences. 
And, and if I wouldn't have had those failures, I wouldn't have had those lessons. And if I wouldn't have had those lessons, I wouldn't have been the person I am today. And I thought, I, I love that. I think it's, I guess, very insightful. And I think it's very truthful too. And you know, this I see this as a theme in a lot of your books, including including this one. It's in a lot a theme in a lot of your talks uh, that I've been able to watch. Um, just kind of, you know, failure and vulnerability is a way to connect to people, to relate to people. And uh, I think you do that very powerfully. Now, uh, let's talk for, we're going to go back and forth between leadership and other things. So your latest book is Leadership, uh, which is a, a great title. Um, you know, again, I think, you know, one theme is, one theme that I've gotten from from your work over the years is giving yourself permission to fail and then move forward. The yes, failing absolutely. Forward. And the, the permission aspect is what was kind of the game-changing moment when I realized that in your book. And then the other thing is, in your leadership books, there's a lot about delivering, always deliver value, always be thinking of not, and, and this this comes into conflict with a lot of discussion about leadership. A lot of leaders think, I need to have a really great vision about the world and be eloquent about communicating that vision so people get excited, you know, kind of the charismatic leader. Uh, but I think your approach has elements of that, but is a little different in that you're very focused on delivering value to others first. And you even say some of your mistakes in the past were when, when you were... Um, you know, trying too hard to get people to buy into your Absolutely. vision of success, as opposed to really asking people what what is going on in their lives. Uh, that's that's very true. I'm glad you brought it up because uh, I believe that the first responsibility of a leader, James, is to make things better for people. I mean, that's what leaders do. Uh, everything rises or falls on leadership. If leadership is good, everything rises. People get better, countries get better, schools get better, life gets better. If if a leader is 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 not a good leader, everything falls. That that leader pulls things and people down. And uh, one of our nonprofit organizations, Equip, we do transformation in countries. We we go into a country and we teach values because what we learned is if we teach uh, people values in small groups and round tables, um, really they begin to live out those values. They become more valuable to themselves and to their community, and and everything be, everything begins to lift. And so we've got twenty two presidents of countries with invitations to come in and, and and do transformation with them and for them and help them through that help them through that process. And uh, we go in very simple, and that is, we are coming in here to add value to you. In fact, my kind of my, my my little theme is I add value to leaders who multiply value to others. And my first responsibility as a leader is to give. And so when we're talking to presidents of countries, and I'm with them alone, I wouldn't do this in front of other people, I just ask them very simply, are you adding value to your people? Are, because you're the leader, are the people better off than, than before you were a leader? Or are you adding value to yourself? I mean, are you using the people to help you? Or are you using your gifts to help people? Are you, are you manipulating the people, which is always wrong as a leader, or are you adding value to people? And here's what I really believe, and I, I live and die with this, very simply. My responsibility, I mean, here we are today just on a podcast enjoying one another. I'm responsible to add value to you and all of your listeners. That's the only job I got. 
And if we got to talk about the book a little bit, it adds value to everybody, then it's a win. But but you're my priority. In fact, in partnerships in our companies, we write the first part of partnership. We say, we put your agenda above ours. And, and that's how we do it. Because what I believe is, if I go in adding value to other people, I believe I go in with the right reason and the right values and the right motives. And I have to believe that brings a return. It comes back. But most people are concerned about reaping. You know, I hope, hope something good happens to me today. I hope, I hope I get a good break today. And, and my success is basically, did I sow seeds today in people's lives? Well, and they're related too. Like if you, if you do so, like I, I had a professor once who told me something very similar. He basically said his success as a professor was not how many papers he had published, but how many uh, papers his students there you ended go. up publishing. And he yeah. was just a, a beloved professor. Like everybody wanted him as a professor. And uh, it's a similar type of approach. And yet that's how he measured his success. Absolutely. And, and James, you and I both know when somebody wants to add value to us versus when somebody wants to take value from us. We know. We know it, it shows in their actions. It shows in the spirit and the attitude and the way they they uh, uh, interact with us. And well, so, well, I, I don't think I know, actually. Like, I think I'm a very poor... I used to think, like most people, <laughs> I used to think I was a very good judge of people. Now I think I'm not such a good judge of people. Like, how would you know kind of when meeting someone, oh, I don't know if this is the person I want in my inner circle or not? When I spoke a few years ago to the United Nations, I did the opening session of the United Nations, two hours to all the ambassadors. Wow. And, of course, we're dealing with different cultures. I mean, what can I say about leadership that will connect with everybody? And so for two hours, I, I, I shared with them that there are three questions that followers ask of their leader. doesn't matter what your culture is. doesn't matter what uh, age of life. Doesn't nothing, Three questions that you go anywhere a follower is asking of their leader, and the question number one is, do you like me? It's just very, has nothing to do with your leadership. Do, do you like me? Do you care for me? The second question is, can you help me? And the third question, can I trust you? Now, isn't it interesting, two of those three questions about leadership have nothing to do with my competence as a leader, have everything to do with, do I care for you, and am I a person of good character? And what, as I taught for two hours, I said, basically, the first thing I've got to do as a leader is I've got to establish myself as a friend, and I've got to establish myself as a trustworthy friend. Now, now that that is, now the question is how competent I am to take them further. And of course, I write books to help people become more competent as leaders so they can take people on a further journey. But what I know is this, the average person out there if they spend much time with you, they really know if you care for them or not. They, they, they really do know. And they, if, if, if you care for them, they move towards you. And if you just care about yourself and, and, and you're a, a leader that basically uses people, they move away from you. And, and I, I, just call, I, just, I call that just the intuitive drawing of people. They intuitively draw themselves to people that care for them, hmm. and they intuitively back up. They may not even they may not even know the questions, but they know the sense and the feeling that I want to be with them, or you know what, I don't want to be with them very much. But I think I think that's a discipline too, in that sometimes we are attracted to the people who might be toxic in our lives. 
Um, you know, we, we, we want somebody to like us who doesn't like us. So we try <laughs> extra hard to get them to like us. And I think it's a training to kind of not have that mindset. Well, I think it is too. But I, I, think, I think naturally, intuitively, most of the time, people who really care for us, we know who they are. And uh, I, I even think people in dysfunctional relationships, even though they're in them and sometimes are, seem to be caught in them and can't get out of them, I think they know and long for somebody who loves them unconditionally, somebody that truly values them, somebody that truly believes in them. And I think this is where a leader begins. I think a leader begins by, one, leading themselves correctly. Your leadership starts with me, not with others. And, and, and then, once I do that, making sure that, Every day, I just want to add value to people. And again, for 45 years, that's all I've done. I, I, you know, my mentor, Les Parrott, who uh, had written six books, I had never written a book. And, 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 and you know what, James? I didn't even have a desire to write a book. I, I, I wasn't on, that wasn't on my list at all. And I asked him one day, I said, you know, you know Les, why, why do you write books? He said, well, I want to, I want to extend my influence beyond my personal touch. And I, I remember my heart just leaped, and I said, I want to do that too. And then I'll never forget, he looked at me and said, now, let me tell you something, John. Don't write books to make money. He said, you won't sell that many books in your life. He said, so he said, just write books to add value to people. Your mission is to add value to people. Don't worry about the money. And I started writing books for that reason. I still write books for that reason because I don't need any more money. But I'm still writing books. Why? Because I believe it's a great way. Hey. My heart leaped, James, when you said, I read your book, Failing Forward, and it just kind of got me back on the right track. And I, I, you know, this is what I live for. I mean, if nothing else happens out of this podcast and our time together, then you say that I helped you. I walk out of here a very enriched person because that's what my goal in life is to do, add value to people. Well, let's... Let's finally talk about leadership because okay. I want to add value to you. We're talking about your 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 book, um, the eleven essential changes every leader must embrace. And I like the title leadership. Where did you where did you come up with that title? Well, <laughs> you know, uh, you're just if if you're like me, you're kind of a wordsmith. You're playing with titles and phrases on a continual basis to to see what clicks. Remember, I said in, a, in the teaching a little bit ago, I said failing forward to the crowd, they went ha. Ah, like that, it's kind of like, okay, this would be a good title. Well, what I tell you, know, leadership, leader shift. Now, now you have to be careful, James, because if you keep going down that road, we could get into leadership, and that's a whole yeah. different title. <laughs> hey, that'll be the book I write after I'm dead. You know, that'll be the that'll be the tell-all book. That's the spoof uh, John <laughs> Maxwell book. <laughs> that's exactly. When you see that book, you know that I've passed away. Okay, that I, I, I I'm no longer here. But the shift is the key word, and it's it's the fact that we have to be very flexible, very fluid, very agile. I was getting ready to speak for a company, and uh, so they were, we were on a pre-call. And they said, our theme is fast forward. What do you think of the theme? Well, I said, it's a good theme. I like it. And they said, what does it mean to you? I said, well, fast to me means fast is faster. I, I, when, when I see fast and I look at today, it's not going to slow down. It, it, it's just going to speed up. And I always crack up when people say, well, you know, I'm waiting for things to slow down so I can make some decisions. I say, you know, you're going to be dead because it isn't going to happen. Fast is faster and forward is shorter. Forward's more shorter than any other time. It, when I started off as a leader, you could have a, a you know, a 10-year 
plan, a long-range plan, and, and a mid, mid-range was kind of five, and a short-range was two. Well, I mean, you go around and talk about a short-range two-year plan. Now they laugh. They say, gosh, that's an re- unrealistic long-range plan. So, so forward has been condensed. It's, it's getting tighter. It's getting shorter than it's ever been before. Now, after I got off the phone with that call, fast is faster, forward is shorter, all of a sudden I began to say, you know, I need to write a book to help people with the speed of things and how they've picked up. If you go back, James, if you go back in the 1980s to a bookstore, you wouldn't find one leadership book in the store. They were all management books. You, you managed your company, and it was you know Peter Drucker and all that. It, it was all management. And then in the 90s, I happened to get in on that wave because I wrote Developing the Leader Within You in the, in the early 90s. But in the 90s, all of a sudden it shifted to leadership because you can't manage speed. And so all of a sudden, instead of trying to keep everything as it was and so that managers, they didn't want anything to change, they want to keep everything the same, all of a sudden things were moving. And so you had to stop managing, you start, had to start leading. And so leadership came in. Well, I'm saying we're into another era now, okay? And we're into the leadership area. Now, now it's the speed of saying you've got to be adaptable, you've got to be quick to change. Uh, it is a fact that the first one that gets started probably will win the race. Um, I was having dinner one evening with Gail Devers, who, of course, in Olympic track history, female track history, she's kind of like the top. And I think she won I think she won medals in three straight different Olympics. So, I mean, that's a pretty good span. We're having dinner, and she's training for her fourth Olympics, and she's literally running speed-timed races against girls young enough to be her daughter. So we're having a great conversation. She had read my books, and we were having a wonderful time talking about leadership. So I thought I'd have some fun with her. I said, you know, Gail, I said, I've been thinking about this all evening. I think if you and I ran a 100-yard race, I said, I think I could win. And she looked at me in total disbelief, you know. And in fact, she looked at her husband and said, did you hear what he just said? And then, of course, then James, she looks back at me, and she sees this fat, Pillsbury dough body of mine. And, and, and she's, it's beyond all comprehension that somebody would say that they thought they could beat her in a 100-yard in race. And, and, and I'm just watching her. Kind of the competitive juices are kind of starting to bubble up. And, and she said, you're really kidding me, aren't you? I said, no, no, I'm not kidding, Joe. I, I said, I've been thinking about it all dinner. I, I, I believe, I, I really believe I could, I believe I could win a 100-yard race with you if you gave me an 80-yard head start. <laughs> and she started laughing. Well, she, oh, well, yeah, okay, a 80-yard head start. First of all, James, I really wanted to say a 70-yard head start, but I wasn't sure I could do it. Right, probably <laughs> probably 70, somewhere between 70 and 80 is the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, said, I thought 70, she might be able to be, but 80, this fat boy can roll over. I can, I can get there before she can get there. And, if, well, of course you can win the race if I give you an 80-yard head start. And, and the principle is very simple. It's not the fastest person that wins the race. It's the one who gets started first. So hang on. Again, when I started leading, you had the advantage if you could see more than others see. That's the vision. That's the big picture. More than others see has been replaced with the word before others see. And I wrote this book because the leaders that are going to win with their teams are the ones that are quick and see it fast and move quickly. And, and, and I, I, in the book I talk about, these are changes that are coming for you. I want you to know these are shifts that you got to be able to make so that you can seize the moment and take advantage of it. And uh, 
that's kind of the catalyst and the and the foundation of the book. And you talk about many of the shifts that are that are happening now that you know leadership is changing. But leadership has always changed, but now it's changing faster. And you know, what do you what do you see as some of these shifts? Well, uh, first of all, the foundation is basically this. There are shifts to be made. So whatever you're doing as a leader, don't get comfortable. Uh, you're, you're, you haven't arrived. There's no such thing as an arrival. In fact, I honestly believe there's no such thing as a finish line. But, but you haven't arrived. And so therefore, understand that whatever you're doing, it can be done better. It can be done differently that there's always an answer, there's usually more than one answer, and that you need to be very uh, very flexible in your leadership. You see, you never lose your values and you never lose your purpose, but everything else is negotiable as you get there. And, and you make the transitions and the changes in the process because you know this is going to help me. You, you never at the beginning can see the whole picture, but you don't need to see the whole picture. You just need to see the first part of the picture, and you need to get started. So in this book on leadership, I talk about changes that I went through, and here's why. Most leaders are going to have to go through those same changes at some time in their life. What happens to us often is if we don't have an awareness about those changes, we get blindsided by them. And when we get blindsided by any kind of change, the first response of a person is to stop and, and, and do nothing. And, and that's the last thing you want to do as a leader because if you stop and do nothing, someone else has started in doing something. And all of a sudden, hey, while you're over there trying to figure it out, somebody else has figured it out, and they, hey, they're already on the 80-yard line, and they're going to win the race. There used to be a, you used to go in, into something competitive, and it could be a first, a second, or a third. We're getting to the age where there's not a second, third anymore. It's just first. Well, what do you mean? What I mean is the person that goes first has a high odds of, of capturing the majority of the influence, the majority of the heart, the majority of the people because of the speed of the game. Because wherever you are today, it'll change tomorrow. And so first, see, if this was a race and, and it was a race that was always the same and it always ended up the same place and it was, it was very stable, then, then there could be a first, second, and third. But by the time you're or wherever you want to go, the game has changed again. It's like, it's like baseball. It's the same game, but you don't play the game the same. I mean, you know, Babe Ruth said yesterday's home run won't win today's game. I mean, so, so it, I may be playing the game of baseball, but I can't play the game of baseball today like I played the game of baseball yesterday. The situation changes. And so many times, and le the leadership is, it's a leadership game, but the game is constantly changing. So in the book, I talk about the changes that are coming for people, the changes that I've gone through. For example, uh, the, a beginning one, the first chapter is I, I talk about going from soloist to conductor. Well, when I started out, I was a soloist. And, and, and uh, you know, basically, the people I brought on the team, I brought them on the team to help me, to be on my team, to buy into my vision, to support what I've got going on. And, 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 but it was all about me. And so they were kind of the backup chorus. They were the, they were the orchestra. And they were enhancing everything that I was doing. But it was, it was about me. Well, there came a time in my life when I realized that if I was really going to add value to people, it had to be about them, not about me. And it had to be about their dream and not my dream. And I had to find them, not let them find me. And so I began to make this change. I began to make this leader shift 
to becoming a conductor. And now my job is to bring the best out of the other people, knowing that if I bring the best out of others, it'll come back and they'll bring the best out of me. And I think, again, that's that's a large theme of a lot of your, yes, your work. Is. And you just keep on enhancing it in different ways. So, like, for instance, in this book, you have a chapter about, you know, promoting teams of diversity. Yes. Um, more about diverse thinking um, but but the idea is is that it can't be about everybody being a yes man to you. People have to have their own thoughts that they're bringing to the table that you learn from, and they're able to express their thoughts. You, you see, when I start off, that's very true. When I start off, that's a major shift. As a leader, it was all about how can I get my ideas and my thoughts over to the people. And, and so, you know, kind of sit down and listen. Here's where I am. This is my vision. Here's what I'm thinking. And, and and I would give it to the people, and you know there'd be a certain amount of buy-in, and and off we would go. But because I didn't understand diversity, and I, I well, first of all, when I started off, I was just a young leader and and insecure, and I was just wanting to make sure that I could even decently lead. But when I started going from, for example, I started going from directing, pointing the way to connecting, asking questions. When I began to ask questions, two things happened. One is I found the people so I could lead them better. You got to find it before you can lead them. But even what, what does that mean? Find them. Uh, I've got to find out where you are. So, for example, James, if if you're going to be on my team, the first thing I want to do is not tell you my vision. The first thing I want to do is find out what your vision is. What's your dream? What would you like to accomplish in your life? What are your values? Let me just ask you some questions. Let me know about you, because when I'm done. When I really have a real sense of who you truly are, then I got to ask myself, can I add value to you? Because if I can't add value to you, you need to go join someone else's team. Or you maybe need to start your own team. And, and, and see, we don't really start the journey until I'm quite sure that not only do I know you, but I know that I can help you. Now, the moment that I know you, and I know that I can help you. And by the way, I've already, the questions followers ask of leaders, you already say he likes me enough that he's asking questions and he's getting into my life. It's not about him, it's about me. Now that I know that, now we can map out a game plan. Because you see, managers lead everybody the same. Leaders lead everybody differently. And so when many times when we, the John Maxwell Company, we do a lot of um, corporate stuff, a lot of corporate training for big companies, small companies, et cetera. And, and one of the first things we do as we go in is, is our job is to find out what are their values? What do they value? we got to find out where they are, and we have to take them there. Because what happens is if I don't ask questions, then I lead by assumption. And assumption is the mother of all mess-ups for leaders. There's a whole bunch of leaders don't do well because they assume they know where the people are. And, we, and there's a hit and miss kind of a, a thing. And so I don't want to assume that. I, I, I don't want to assume anything in a relationship. I want, to, I want to know you. I want to value you. And I want to ask myself, can I add value to you? Now, if I can get a yes, I know you, yes, I value you, and yes, I think I can add value to you, now we can get a game plan. But our game plan now is about you. So when you join the team, you don't join the team to help me. You join the team to help yourself. And all of a sudden, we begin to help each other. And that's what creates the synergy that makes a great team.
I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The famous Abraham Lincoln quote says, good things come to those who wait. I wonder, did he really say that? Jay, did he really say that? Can you look that up? Regardless of who said it, that's only part of the quote. The full quote is, Good things come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. Well, if you're a business owner and want the best people on your team, the same applies. And listen, I've interviewed 1,500 people now and a lot of entrepreneurs. I can safely say the one thing consistent among all entrepreneurs and CEOs, the the successful ones, is that it's all about the people you surround yourself. You, if you hire well you're going to have a great business. And, you know, thankfully, ZipRecruiter puts the hustle in your hiring. So you find qualified candidates fast. This is so important. And I, I want you to try it. You could try it as a potential employer or employee. You could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter's smart technology finds top talent for your roles right away. Immediately after you post your job, if you're hiring, ZipRecruiter's matching technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I will tell you that I signed up on ZipRecruiter as a potential employee. You know, I just wanted to see how it works. And right away, it started matching me with really amazing potential employers. So give it a try at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Let ZipRecruiter give you the hiring hustle you need. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James to try it for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. You know, it also strikes me that there could be a concept, you know, leadership from the bottom. So a lot of times we're talking about leaders on the top, yeah. but, you know, someone who's an employer at the bottom of a hierarchy they also could deliver value. They could give credit to their boss, give credit to their colleagues. And if you give credit and add value to everyone around you, then you're the source. 
So that's whether you're at the bottom or at the top. That's a fact. In fact, decisions should be made at the lowest level possible. Problems should be solved at the lowest level possible. Now, the only way that you can get down to where the decisions can be made and the problems can be solved is to go down to where they are. You know, when Jack Welch was CEO of General Electric, he made it a practice that whenever he went to one of his plants, he'd have 30 minutes with the manager of the plant, and he'd spend the rest of the day down on the assembly line. He'd spend the rest of the day asking the questions of the workers because he knew that they knew what the real issues were a lot more and a lot better than the people that were in the, that were in the offices. And a lot of times, he'd have a 30-minute closing with the, with back in the manager's office again, and he'd be asking that manager, well, did you realize in the plant we got this? We got and he'd say, you know, I've spent a day here, and I know more about the people in the plant than you do, and you, you know, you're, the, you're the manager of the plant. Well, what was Jack Welch doing? Jack Welch was understanding the value of everybody on the team. And he also understood that if he went to those people that were right closest to where the action was and where the work was, he could best help them and he could best give them what they needed to add value to General Electric. It works that way. And, you know, when you speak for two hours to the UN ambassadors, do, they, do, you, do you think they change? Do you think they go back to their countries and... <laughs> things are, you know, because there's so many other agendas. Uh, you know, people oh, in general have lots of agendas. So when you speak to a large group of leaders or important people, people who make policy, do you think there's going to be change? Well, first of all, the answer is yes, but not everyone's going to change. When I began, I, I was naive and I thought, wow, I'll teach these principles. Everybody will want to get better. And so they'll get, grab the principles, they'll go out and apply the principles, and, and everybody will be changed. And of course, I quickly learned that isn't true at all. Somebody else, it, there's all kind of agendas going on in that room while I'm doing the teaching. So I write a book for everyone, but I don't expect everyone to change. But here's what's beautiful everyone can change. What I go is I go for the potential of the person. And I say, I'm going to speak to your potential, and I'm going to write to your potential. Now you determine how much you want to change. You determine how far you want to go. But it's my, see, I'm responsible to you, but I'm not responsible for you. I'm responsible to deliver the goods, the goods that will help you make the changes. You're responsible to make the change yourself. At one time, I thought I was the change agent. I'm not a change agent at all. I'm just a person that puts information, hopefully inspiration in people's lives enough that will allow them to make those changes in their life. But some do and some don't. But here's what I know. There'll be people pick up that leadership book and they'll read a chapter or two and they'll say, oh my gosh, this is a change I need to make. And they'll just get better. And I write for the people who get better. For the rest of the people, I still value them, but I write for the people who want to really bring change in their own life. And so after 71 books, right? Is it 71 around there? Oh, it's around there. Um, Give or take a few. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you kind of write, I don't want to say you write about the same topic because each book is kind of an addition. It's like new chapters. You know, it's like one big body of work. Yes, it is. Do you ever feel like doing something completely different? Never. You just love what you do. Love what I do. I, I, I'm hopelessly, ridiculously in love with what I do. And does anyone ever say to you, John, I just read what you wrote this. I read it 30 books ago and what you wrote. Uh, uh, you got to write something different. Well, well, I write in four areas. I, I write, when I was in my late 20s, 
I said, okay, if I'm going to influence people, what are the areas I want to influence them in? I mean, you can't write on everything. And, and I came to the conclusion, James, that if I could write on four areas, I could help people become successful, regardless of what their career was. If you want to be successful, you you got to be decent with relationships. You you got to like people, and people got to like you. I mean, hello. If people don't like you, it's it's awful hard to as, assemble a team. So you got to like people, relationships. Another one is attitude. You got to be able to overcome adversity and difficulties. Attitude only shows up in the bad days. Attitude doesn't show up in the good days. Everybody's got a good attitude in good times, but it's during the bad times. How do I help a person get? a tenaciousness about their attitude. So if I can write on relationships, if I can write on attitude, if I can write on how to train and develop other people, how to develop teams, because that's how you compound time, money, energy, influence, money. Everything is compounded in the equipping area. And if I can teach them how to lead well so that they can influence people in a positive way and make a difference in their life. I said, if I could teach relationships, attitude, equipping, leadership, then I think I'm going to really help people get better no matter what they do. So when you read one of my, you read a Maxwell book, it's always in one of those four areas. And, and you know, like you said, 71, 81, 91 books. I, some lady told me the other day, she said, John, you've written more books than I've ever read. And, and that's not really a big deal when you think about it. You just have to be old to write a lot of books. So, I mean, that, that, that's not a huge accomplishment. But the point being, the point being, the reason 31 million books have been sold it's because I'm in the sweet spot for people to be successful. And, and they find, oh, my gosh, he helped me in relationships. Oh, oh leadership. Okay, he's going to help me in leadership. Oh, wow, team building. Okay, I'm at failing forward. You know, here we go. And I'm just, I, I constantly work that. Now, what I do is I teach the same principles, but I grow in each one of those principles. It's what I call layered learning. And layered learning means once you learn something, you don't say, oh, my gosh, okay, I learned. I, I know everything there is to know about it. No, no. I, I, well, there's more to learn about that. And so I keep layering my learning. It's like you, I mean, you love chess. And, and, and it's, I mean, after you learned the rules of the game, you didn't just sit down and say, well, I got chess down. I want to do something else. See, every day you're still learning to play better chess because there's a layering effect. Well, the great way to be exceptional in anything in life is to have a lot of layered experiences and learning. And so people that have followed me, and they say, I get it, you know, when it's a Maxwell book, I just go out and buy it. What they basically are saying is, he's going to add another layer. In this case, this is another layer in the area of leadership. My next book may be another layer in the area of relationships, but I just keep adding layers for people to kind of keep ascending and hopefully get into excellence. Have you ever written about uh, public speaking? I don't remember. Yes, I have a book called Everyone Communicates, Few Connect, which is pub, which is about public speaking. Yes, it's really another one of my sweet spots. Because you're a very good public speaker. Well, thank you very much. I, I, I love speaking. And uh, and I, I have another book in the future that I'm going to write on on communication. So, yes, it's a it's an area that I love. And so, I, yeah, I, I'm going to – when I gave you – what's interesting, when I gave you R-E-A-L, the, the real people say, well, where does communication come in? And I, I, I tell them all the time, it comes into – comes into leadership and it comes into equipping because you've got to cast that vision. You still got to connect and communicate with people. Maybe you should change it to clear instead of real. There you go. <laughs> so I, clear, I could have the communication part. So, <laughs> James, I want to give you. Credit. I play Scrabble also. Oh, so. do you play Scrabble? I I I love word games. I play. Do you ever play Word, word, uh, word Shaker? 
I like Boggle. Yeah, I love Boggle. Yeah. Oh, I would sometime let's play Boggle. Yeah. I mean the big Boggle, not the little stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, I love Boggle. I love word games. But you're right. I just go from real to clear and put communication on it. Yeah. See, that's why I hang around with smart people like you. <laughs> And, and, and so I'll give you credit. I won't give you any royalties, but I'll give you credit. How's that? Huh? that that's good. That's fair. <laughs> um, tell You were telling me the John Wooden story before. So John Wooden, you wanted to have a, a kind of a mentoring relationship with him when he, he'd be the mentor. Maybe describe that uh, story real quickly. Yeah, well, I, I'll be glad to. Um, you know, almost everybody that's listening to us right now either has a mentor or would like to have a mentor, somebody, somebody that could take them to another level. And, and what I tell people is if you want a mentoring relationship, you've got to always understand the bookends of that relationship. There's a front and there's a back. And, and let me give them to you. On, on the front end, the, the, the first bookend is preparation. If you're going into a mentoring relationship of somebody that you really know can add value to you and teach you and help you go to another level, then when you get to them, be ready for them. And, and, and so in the John Wooden story, when I had an opportunity, John said, okay, Coach Wooden said, you can come out to L.A. and I'll spend an hour with you at breakfast. I spent a month, I read every book that he had written, and I'm just writing questions, questions of things that he wrote and that I want to know more about. And I spent a whole month preparing because, okay, a lot of times when people see me, basically what they want is either a signature on a book or a picture. And I, you got to have a little bit more in life if you really want a mentor. I mean, that's that's kind of a that's kind of sliding through without going to the depth that you can go. And so, I mean, okay, I, I brought my book so John could sign it, and yes, I'll get a picture with him. But but I want more than a picture and a signature. I want a relationship. So how do I get his attention? I get his attention by making the best use of that one hour that I have. I, I don't want to waste it. I don't. I don't. I mean, I've just got an hour with him, so I've got. I go out to L.A. to go to breakfast with him, and I have five pages written questions on, on a legal pad. And so we're doing small talk for about five minutes, not long. And I'm kind of like, okay, I only got an hour. I only got an hour. I got, you know, I got some questions in here. And, and Coach looked at me and said, John, do you have any questions? And I said, sure. And I reached in my briefcase, and I pulled out my legal pad and put it on the table there at the little breakfast diner. And, and he looked over and said, oh, my gosh. He said, it's, that, that page is full of questions. I said, well, yes. And I turned to the next page, and this one's full. And the next page, it's full. And the next page, I had five pages full of questions for him. And he and he looked at that. And he said, "We got to get started. You got a lot of questions." That hour breakfast meeting turned into a six hour with him. We're now we're over at his little condo, and I'm still asking questions. And and, and you know it's it, it, it's it's now mid afternoon, and and we're done. And he said, John, he said, uh, we, only, we only got through the first page. We, we, you got four more pages of questions. He said, could you come back and see me again? Touchdown. Hmm. You see, that's what I'm going for. I want a relationship with him. A picture's fine. A signature's fine. But a picture and a signature, I can go show somebody. I got a signature. I got a picture. But that doesn't help me grow. I want a relationship with him. I got, I've got, and I, so you go into the mentoring relationship with preparation. Now. Coming out of that mentoring relationship, the other bookend is reflection. Now, I've got to take all the stuff that he's taught me, 
And I've, I've got to begin to apply it to where I am and, and say, okay, what, what do I need to use right now and apply right now? And, and I've, got a, I've got a whole method of application for my life. But reflection turns experience into insight. And so, you know, when, when you hear people say, James, experience is the best teacher, you know, they're good people, but it's not true. If experience were the best teacher, everybody would get better because everybody has experiences. The older you get, the better you get. I, get, I know a whole bunch of people, they're getting, they're getting older, but they're not getting better. Evaluated experience is the best teacher. In other words, I spent an hour with James. Now, what did I learn? What did he share with me besides clear? What did he give me today that I can apply to my life? And so what happens is preparation gets you in the game and reflection makes your game better. And so in mentoring, I, I just tell people, get ready, be prepared, and then afterwards, okay, how do I apply that to my life? And so when I mentor people, when they come back to me the next time, the first thing we talk about is what they did with what I taught them the last time. And, and if I'm finding that, oh, yeah, let me tell you, I applied this or I applied this, boy, I'm ready for another lesson. But I'm not ready for another lesson with anybody if they're not taking what I've given them and fleshing it out, applying it to the life, and, and getting be, you know getting better because of it. So, so I feel like I, I'm just throwing all these questions at you um, for, for my own selfish uh, needs, but I'm <laughs> going to continue doing that. How would you? You clearly found your passion um, early in life. You wanted to to teach leadership, teach uh, all these principles that you've written about in all, all of your books. How would you suggest somebody find their passion, or let's say they're they're midlife, and you 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 wrote about uh, uh, you've written about midlife crises and stuff? Uh, if someone's midlife and they've decided, oh, I need I need a change, but I don't know what it is I want to do, what would you suggest to them? Well, for a person to find their purpose, which really centers an individual, you know, why am I here? You know, somebody said there's two great days in a person's life, the day they were born and the day they discovered why. Um, I, I say two things. Uh, two paths that you take to discover your purpose. Um, and, and one path isn't 100% there, but it's maybe 80%. The other, the other path is 100%. So let me take you down the first one for a moment. If a person wants to discover their purpose in life, I, I ask them, What's your, what are you passionate about? I mean, what what is it that you truly love and care for? Um, but because you, but you've said ideas are like a muscle; they might have atrophied that muscle. Yes, yes. But what I've discovered is this: if you're passionate, if if, if you have a passion to do something, it passion is a great energizer. When a person is filled with passion, they usually are filled with the energy to start that path, going down that path. You know, if a person tells me they're greatly passionate about something, but they don't take any initiative to it, I question if they're really, if it's a mm. passion in their life. Because passion gives energy. I, and But here, it's very simple. When you talk about low energy people, high energy people, I don't think there's low energy, high energy people. I think there's high passion people and, and low passion people. But, 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 but passion gives you energy. And so I say, go follow your passion path and see if it, if it, where it leads you to. Now, the the downside of that is it's possible to be passionate about something you're not good at, and that that's very common for all for all of us. We just love something. I mean, I love music, but I, I to be honest with you, I'm not a musician, and I'm never going to be able to be a conductor. I mean, but but I love it. I I love music. So, what I tell people is this: if you find something you're passionate 
passion in, but you're not good at it, don't make it a career, make it a hobby. Because a hobby isn't going to, you, you, you know, you, you, I love to play golf, but I'm never going to be a PGA golfer. You follow what I'm saying. But it's okay. I still, pay, I, love the, I love the game. Now, so passion gets you there, but not 100% there. But the second question is, is what, am I, what am I really good at? Where, what are my, where, where does my giftedness lie? Where, where, are, where, where are the strengths of my life? What, what do I do really well? Because once you can discover what you do well, I can promise you that will take you to your purpose. Now, you put what you do well coupled with passion, and you're passionate about it, now you're really onto something because you're, you're in your strength zone and you're not in your strength zone, but you're passionate about it. So I'm passionate about adding value to people. So what do I do well? There's all, there's, hey, there's a thousand ways to add value to people. But what do I do well? Well, I communicate well. So I'm going to help and add value to people through writing and through speaking. Well, I lead well. Okay, so I'll, 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 I'll use that. So I find my strengths, which are, I only have a couple. I don't have very many. I find my strengths, and I stay right there in that zone, and that's where I get my highest return. In fact, in teaching people in leadership, I, I ask them, you ask yourself three questions. And the first question is, what's required of me? What do I have to do? The second one is, what, what gives me my greatest return? What's the most effective for me? And the third one is, what's most rewarding? The three R's. And, and, and what you want to do is you want to match them until what is required of me, what gives me my greatest return, and what gives me my greatest reward are the same things. Mm-hmm. When you get to that sweet spot, you're cooking. And I've been very fortunate. At a very young age, I got there pretty quickly, more, more quickly than most people. And so, therefore, it's allowed me to have a long run. And, and having the long run has allowed me to be consistent, and, 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 and consistency compounds. And so, you know, so, so much of what I'm reaping today is because I've done it for, for so long. And, and tried to constantly layer it and improve it and, and get better until today, you know, I'm not as good as people think I am, to be honest with you. But in the beginning, I wasn't as bad as people thought I was either. But, but, it, it, but it consistency compounds. Well, you know, John Maxwell, author of the latest book, Leadership, and so many other books, I, I've been grateful for you for... I, I first heard of you... 18 years ago, and I've been grateful ever since. I've read uh, many of your books since then, since that first one failing, since the first one I read, which was Failing Forward. And I'm so it's such an honor to have you on the podcast. I'm really grateful you came, you came here and spent some time with us. Hey, and leadership, the essential changes every the 11 essential changes every leader must embrace. A, a very powerful book. I highly recommend people read it. And I've been enjoying watching your talks on YouTube as well. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoy them, and if you want to know more, just go to johnmaxwell.com, and you'll, you'll hey, you'll see more than you really want to see. But anyway, thanks for having me. It's James. It's been my delight, and uh, let's continue this relationship. And sometime, sometime I want to come to your comedy club and, and do a show or, or watch a show here. So. Well, you're pretty funny in your public speaking. I was taking yeah. notes during some of your talks. Oh, that might be a joke. Yeah, he, yeah, cool. He on. won't care. Go, I won't care. Anything I say that's funny. Go use it. it. It's like me. I'm going to quote you. You can quote me. You can give me credit. I'll give you credit. We just won't give each other royalties. How's there, that? There you okay. go. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, John. Thank you.
This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.